You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. If ever there was a division whose name was created to adhere to an acronym, it's SHIELD. Marvel is notorious for this, however, whether we're discussing SHIELD, Hammer, Strike, Sword, or any other grown-worthy name. Created in 1965 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, SHIELD first appeared in the comic book Strange Tales. At the time, SHIELD stood for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. During a major change in the 90s when the UN took over the organization, it changed to Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. It wasn't until the Marvel Cinematic Universe that the name was thankfully changed to what we now know. S.H.I.E.L.D. has a rich and some would say overly complex history, but what would you expect from an espionage organization with with its hands in everything? Today we're going to talk about the first season of Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. However, it's important to first lay the groundwork. Now before we get into that, you've read a lot more comics than I have, and more consistently, I had that break-in-between kind of thing. Though, looking back to when I used to read comics in my teens, and then 25 years later with what we've been reading for Comic Book Informer and whatnot, I still have not spent that much time reading dedicated S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. It's always ever been just in how it pertains to other stories and how they're, they're mingled in there. Well, there really hasn't been that much dedicated to S.H.I.E.L.D. ever since the old uh, Jim Steronko, Nick Fury series back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, Jonathan Hickman did some good stuff with it. Um, he had a miniseries going back to the origins of S.H.I.E.L.D. And when I say origins, I'm talking like Leonardo da Vinci origins. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But he also did some good stuff. Uh, he did like a Secret Warrior series, which was really delving into uh, a lot of the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff with Nick Fury and a lot of the more covert stuff. But in the general area of comics, S.H.I.E.L.D. itself is more of a background character. See, the way that I look at it, it's it's very much like when we look at, say, in the comics right now, and we are looking at Mariah Hill, who's running the show. It's more interesting when you have her as... Uh, a foil to everybody else not when it's that character having a story pertaining to them but rather how everybody else deals with shield or in this case say mariah hill when we're seeing whether it's the x-men or iron man or anybody having to deal with mariah hill or you know other shield counterparts that's interesting that's fun same with when colson was in the comics a lot more we really don't see that that much of him right now, I guess, because he's calvetting around on the bus. But it's it's actually a lot more interesting when you see them as that secondary character or or the foil for everybody else. Not so much the internal 
espionage stories. And I think that's interesting because as we've established, we're both fans of that type of story. So I don't understand what it is about shield per se, that isn't interesting in and of itself to maintain our interests. Well, you see, that's the thing. Like Coulson himself as the comic book character, he's actually uh, very involved in the Secret Avengers comic, which just so happens to be not good. <laughs> so they're, they're trying. They're just not succeeding. Okay. Yeah. See, I haven't actually read that one yet. So, Yeah, I, I, that, I think that definitely ties more into like S.H.I.E.L.D.'s role in the Marvel Universe. But through two relaunches, it's still not very interesting to me. So yeah. I haven't been reading it. Going back in history, just to lay the groundwork before we actually start talking about the TV series, and it's important to do so for a couple of different reasons, just so that you see that what is happening now in the TV show, a lot of it does actually have roots in actual events or um, things that have gone on in S.H.I.E.L.D. So, like I said, S.H.I.E.L.D. was created back in 1965. It was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby for Strange Tales. Nick Fury was in charge at the time and was the executive director. Now, this is back when Nick Fury was an old white dude. Well, not quite that old, but anyways. Now, well, technically, he still is. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. See, and that's one of the things that I don't know at what point the... Um, Samuel L. Jackson characterization of Nick Shield, or sorry, Nick Fury came into play. You probably know that more than I do. Well, when uh, they started the Ultimate Universe and Mark Millar and Brian Hitch wanted to create a, their Nick Fury, they decided to make him a black man. And they, they actually modeled him yeah. after Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. So that's why he was cast in the movie. And then in the proper Marvel Universe, the black Nick Fury that we see is actually the original Nick Fury's son. Okay. That's what I thought, but I wasn't 100%. And then when you know, his parentage was revealed to him, you know, he started calling himself Nick Fury Jr., basically. Right. Yeah, because isn't his name Marcus or something like that? Yeah. I thought. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the, um, the original S.H.I.E.L.D. is a little... Again, convoluted and open to interpretation based on who's writing it as well, as is everything else in in comics kind of thing. That's why you have so many retcons. But initially, there was it was it was said that their scope of I don't want to say influence, but authority, let's say, was restricted to America. This was actually said in a couple of comics as well, and that their authority was just within the U.S. But then when the U.N. took them over in the 90s, then at that point, it was more open worldwide. Now, eventually, Nick Fury resigned, and that's when the character of Mariah Hill took over. And that character, of course, in the... um, the TV show is played by um, Cody Smulders, and uh, we'll talk about that later as well. I have a few words to say about that. <laughs> and then during the Civil War event in the comics, which centered around the Superhero Registration Act, Hill actually appointed Tony Stark as the director. So Iron Man was running the show, and he did a whole bunch of changes, and that's when the Hell Carrier was introduced as well, which is as much a character as Hawkeye or Black Widow in terms of the movies, you see it a lot. Maybe even more of a character than Hawkeye. Than, than Hawkeye, yeah. 
<laughs> Although maybe that'll change now that Hawkeye is actually awesome <laughs> in the comics. There's, there's hope. But, uh, but that's when that came about. Now, after the secret invasion event, which was another major comic book event, the president of the United States dissolved S.H.I.E.L.D. and replaced it with a new organization led by none other than Norman Osborn. Yes, the Green Goblin. And that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. became Hammer. Now, this, I know for a fact you know a hell of a lot more than I do because this was when I wasn't reading comics and I never went back to read this either. Yeah, I absolutely love this entire era of Marvel Comics with Norman Osborn in charge, bringing in all of his you know, supervillain subordinates and giving them high-ranking roles, actually making the Avengers out of a team of supervillains. Like, I love this whole era because you had all the heroes who were kind of on the run and trying to stay off the radar. It was a lot of fun. But as far as Hammer itself is concerned, I... I adore the entire organization of Hammer from like a storytelling perspective. First and foremost, because Hammer doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's at the point when they said, screw it. We're just going no. with the acronyms. We don't have to explain it. Well, when uh, they brought in Victoria Hand, who they gave her a backstory of being a S.H.I.E.L.D. I think she was like an intelligence officer or something. But basically, she didn't like the way S.H.I.E.L.D. was being run and thought that they were spending too much time focusing on the wrong threats. So she wrote a letter to Nick Fury explaining her displeasure and was rewarded by getting basically reassigned to a post in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so she she remained – and this is, of course, all after the fact, kind of a retcon, you know, very vocal about her displeasure with S.H.I.E.L.D. But she was doing her job enough that she never got fired. So when Norman Osborn took over and created Hammer, he actually appointed her as – she was her second in command as far as Hammer was concerned, but there were other people like above her in the overall organization. And her first day on the job, she's like, okay, he's like, welcome to Hammer. And she's like, oh, Hammer, what's it stand for? And he's like, put that the first thing on your list of things to do. <laughs> Which is such a Norman Osborn thing to do. Come up with a great name and it doesn't matter what it means. <laughs> Leave that for somebody else. But yeah, we see Victoria Hand in the TV series who is not anywhere near as cool as she was in the comics because she was such... She had, a, I don't want to say a little, too little screen time, panel time, if you will, but she was very effective in what she was because even though she's working for Norman Osborn, surrounded by evil people, she was still doing what she was doing for the right reasons. Even when she was against Nick Fury, you know, she was, she had the best interests of America and the world at heart. And she felt that the best way to do her job was to be by Norman Osborn. So then even when we find out, uh, after Norman goes complete crazy and ruins the whole thing and Steve Rogers reforms S.H.I.E.L.D., he kept Victoria Hand on board because even though she was working for a bad guy, she herself wasn't a bad person. So the whole Hammer storyline is really Victoria Hand's storyline as far as I'm concerned. And see, this is what interests me about this show too. Like the show has taken a lot of flack from people, both people who are comic book fans as well as just regular TV viewers. And what I like about it is that it's not just what is going on and what they're trying to do with these stories that aren't just about the superhero tales, but also just, you know, the, I don't want to say regular people because shield definitely isn't regular, but you know what I mean? Out of the Marvel mm -hmm. universe. And what really interests me is the potential for storylines based on that. I mean, we got some of that when we t look at some of the 
um, some of the episodes that came out, like the Deathlock stuff coming out, and then the Asgardian Warrior, and different things that they can do where they don't have to spend a fortune on special effects to tell a good story. And again, it's it's based on the Marvel Universe. So you can get these outlandish storylines like this, which involve Norman Osborn, which we're not likely to see again, although you never really know. But they can do something that for those of us who appreciate the comics or for anybody who has watched enough of the the movies, whether you appreciate them or not, it's a nice nod to be able to think about, again, what can come up in terms of storylines with these characters. I mean, imagine a season two where the Hammer storyline is done, which isn't likely to be done, but just that kind of scope where you have now villains running the show and people as important in terms of Marvel canon as Norman Osborn and stuff like that. That kind of potential is what excites me the most for this show. Yeah, and that's also kind of what's what held it back in the first season is people envisioned so much potential for it. And it really wasn't until the end of the season that really started living up to that potential. So a, a lot of the people who were really interested in it kind of lost interest before it reached that point where we felt it could. Well, that Hydra storyline was a slow burn. Yeah. Like that took a long time to come, which leads you to believe that they did not have quite enough planned for the full season to really make sure that it's shock a block full of, it doesn't even have to be action, but suspense to keep Mm -hmm. us interested throughout. I mean, you're writing an espionage TV show, there better be enough to hold your interest in, which isn't to say that I I don't want to sound negative about it because overall, I still enjoyed it. It wasn't something that I was overly enthusiastic, that it was like, oh my God, I cannot miss the next episode, but I enjoyed them all, you know, so, but I can see looking at it that, wow, they could have made it a lot tighter, introduced a lot more elements that would have made it a lot more suspenseful throughout and not just, again, that very slow burn to the end. Yeah, it's it's almost as if the first two-thirds of the season was basically just killing time until the Captain America movie came out. Which is possible as well. So. Yeah, but, you know, that, that's where you get into, you know, network and, and all this stuff, you know, being on a major network of ABC. They really don't have a lot of control over you know, scheduling and whatnot. So they had to be out for the big, you know, fall premieres and like what really killed the series. And like, you can even see it looking at the ratings is these long breaks. It would go on where like, it would be off the air for three weeks. It would come back for one new episode and then be off again for a month. And you could just see like gigantic drops in viewerships whenever those big uh, gaps came around. If we learned anything from Firefly, it's that. <laughs> Get your shit together, people. <laughs> personally, so, that's what has me really excited for the uh, the upcoming series they have coming to Netflix because they can plan it out and just do it. They don't have to worry about you know taking Christmas off and things like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll be covering those as they come out as well. So eventually what happened is that in the comics as well, S.H.I.E.L.D. came under the control of HYDRA. And you found out that they were hiding in ranks from the very beginning. And that is, of course, what we've seen in the TV show as well. Now, the TV show came about 
one could argue largely simply because of the Disney purchase. I don't think that this could have been done had Disney not owned Marvel. And it came about and it was created by Joss Whedon, his brother Jed Whedon, and his wife, Jed's wife, Marissa Tenshi. I'm going to butcher this. Tensha Rone. Let's go with that. Now, while Joss worked on the premiere and he has been involved with the rest, it's hard to see his involvement throughout the entire season. I don't know just how much he has done. It's mainly been Jed who has been doing some writing of episodes. But even then, and you feel that absence when you're watching some of these episodes. A Joss Whedon show is something that you can almost immediately recognize when you're watching it. And that is what had a lot of people interested in the TV show. And I feel that a lot of that is missing. I honestly, I simply don't know the extent of his involvement in this first season. Well, I would have to imagine that Marvel and Disney have him more focused on his actual movie projects because they obviously see that as more important. I mean, as like I said, he's only credited on, I think, the one episode. Beyond that, I think he's just more of like an overseer, like giving them the major plot points they need to hit in order to line up with the movie universe. But I, I doubt he has a whole lot of hands-on involvement. And see, that's not his specialty. His specialty is that attention to mm-hmm. detail and to characters and to plots and stories. That's what he does best. So when you don't have that, and that's what people were expecting, I think that was one of the biggest disappointments. At least for me, it was one of the biggest disappointments because it. I was hoping for, you know, not another Firefly, but something along those lines that those characters would be that, I don't want to say important, but you know what I mean? That fantastic. Whereas what we got is a whole heck of a lot of cliches and stereotyped characters from typical espionage stories and whatnot. And that, that even though I enjoyed it, was one of the biggest disappointments that I felt. Yeah, he definitely has a talent in taking outlandish characters, as we've seen in Firefly and Buffy and any number of other things, and making them very realistic and able to connect with the audience. And with very few exceptions, yeah, I definitely didn't have much of a connection with the S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Yeah, well, luckily, it does center around Phil Coulson and... Partly because of how well written he is in the comics, and partly because of Clark Gregg, who just embodies this character entirely, that is what pushes this show forward. Yeah. For, forget the the Disney purchase of Marvel; he is the reason yeah. this series got made. Yeah. You know, after he got killed off in the Avengers, and the huge fan outcry as to that. I mean. <laughs> People were more pissed off about that than Wash. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to keep it the Whedon references. So Marvel realized what an asset they had in Clark Gregg and the Coulson character and f- figured out they had to do something with him. It's funny because if you look back at his acting credits, while he's done quite a bit, it's nothing that really stands out all that much. But then there's that point where he was cast as Coulson. And from that point on, you just see Coulson everywhere <laughs> and, and everything that's done. and it's just 
that's who he has become. He embodies that character entirely, and it's typecasting, but, I mean, it's working in his favor. He's getting to play a phenomenal fan-favorite character. So you got to think, again, that's a, a hat tip to him that he's taking it to that level because I'm quite certain that had it not been for him being cast in the role, I mean, depended on who would have taken it, but had it been someone lesser, we would not have seen nearly as much of Coulson in the movies. And again, quite certainly this show probably wouldn't have been made either. Absolutely. Yeah. And dude's married to the chick from freaking dirty dancing. That's kind of cool. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I did not know that, but it was, there it is. So I thought, Oh, that's pretty awesome. Um, also in the show is uh, Ming-Na, Ming-Na Wen, who has been in tons. Of, she's been everywhere. She's been in everything. If there is an Asian movie that needs a good dramatic actress or a good ass-kicking actress, there you go. Take her. And she, phenomenal actress. Freaking mm. gorgeous, too. And, uh, and so she's in there. Other than that, though, with the exception of Bill Paxson, who shows up much later on as John Garrett. And then um, Kobe Smulders from How I Met Your Mother. The others are relative unknowns. And I don't know why they chose to do that. Not to say that they're bad actors in any way, shape, or form. I quite like them. But it is a noticeable lack of star power in the TV show. Well, I mean, I think it works out, though. When you have, especially from the whole team-building dynamic, you have... The experienced, I don't want to call them soldiers, agents in Coulson and May who are played by the experienced actors. And then you have the younger people. I think it worked from a dynamic standpoint. Right. No, I'm not saying. Even, even like even the way the audience envisions it, though, like, you know, you expect Clark Gregg and Ming-Na Wen, whatever characters they're playing are going to be the important ones. And then we don't expect anything from the younger, more unknown actors. So we give those characters a lot more uh, leeway as far as what we expect from them. True. However, just like we said with Greg, how an actor can make a huge difference to the importance of a role or how it's perceived by people. The same applies to those others. Had they chosen other people in some of those roles, then it could have made a huge difference as well. The the main one that I have a problem with is one of the bigger ones, and that's Ward. Oh, Brad Dalton. He, and, he was by far the weakest member of the cast. So, I mean, he's playing the character as it's supposed to be, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who love him as a character or, or actor, I don't know. But myself, I every time he was on the screen, you, you almost groan. It's like, oh, come on. And so that holds back what winds up being an insanely important story twist, which damn near everybody would have seen coming, but anyways, it's supposed to be a twist. So like, I mean, had you had someone far more dynamic in that role, that twist in that storyline would have been a hell of a lot more fun to watch. Mm -hmm. So I I have to imagine budget factored into it as well. Like you can tell that despite what a huge hit that was going to be. ABC didn't give them as much money as they wanted. Right. All the money went into the bus. The special effects for the bus. <laughs> <laughs> it was all that hollow table. That was like 30% of the budget. Yeah, really? <laughs> so in terms of, of episodes and whatnot and what they brought forward, there was 
a lot of quote-unquote setup episodes, like we were saying. Whether they were gathering artifacts to take to the fridge or people with special abilities, the whole Deathlock storyline... I don't know if it was the right choice or the right character to introduce into the series. When you look at the wealth of characters that they can use in the Marvel Universe, picking Deathlock out of there and trying to give him a backstory, I found that one hard to come to terms with and actually enjoy as much as, again, some others would have been. Well, here's the big issue. I forget who it was. I think it might have even been Jed Whedon, but somebody high up in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. staff in an interview actually said that they wanted to use a number of other characters, but they had to go through you know, the, the, the Marvel Studios, and a number of the characters they wanted to use were actually rejected because they wanted to save those characters for later roles in movies. So basically, Deathlock, Blizzard, and Graviton are what they were left with. Ah, okay. I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Yeah, see, and it shows. Something like that, it would have been nice had they actually just imagined something new as well. Yeah. They could have come up with something brand new that they could have then inserted into the comics. And this is not unheard of. I mean, we've seen that with... (laughs) Coulson didn't exist in the comics before the movie. So, and we've seen that also on the DC side with different characters that are now in the comic books Mm -hmm. that are from the shows. So it's not unheard of for something like that. And if you have the writing talent of the Whedons and they were even tapping into Zach Whedon, they could have tapped into Zach Whedon who does the different comic books as well. They could have really had a lot of fun and come up with something completely original. And from there, it would have been interesting to see that dynamic of the character on screen, making it onto the comics page as well. So absolutely agree. Um, another storyline that was huge throughout the entirety of the series, of course, was with Coulson and Tahiti. I think they kind of, they dragged it out too yeah. much, but it was an interesting idea. To, as to how they brought him back and things like that. And now the idea of this alien goo in him <laughs> that could snap him at any point, And it's the strength of the character that keeps him going forward in a straight line. I mean, it's kind of cliched when you put it like that, but it's still kind of good. It's just the inner turmoil that it brought to a character that is otherwise so utterly straightforward that was very enjoyable. And then how he saw other characters because of that and his relationship with May because of that and the little rug they tried to pull out of your feet from with with that reveal later on with her kind of thing that she's keeping an eye on him. But I enjoyed it. Again, I felt they stretched it too long, but I, I did still enjoy it. Yeah, because... Let's be honest, that was the one main plot point even before the series premiered, as soon as they said Coulson was in a TV series. And what was it? Episode like 12, I think, was when it was finally like broken. So and even then it wasn't 12 weeks. That was because of delays. It was like four or five months before they finally got around to it. So by the time they even got to it, I said a lot of people didn't really care anymore. But it was entirely worth it for that one exchange between him and Nick Fury in the season finale. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, the, the project was designed to, to bring back an Avenger. And Fury goes, exactly. And just the look on Coulson's yeah. face, like, that made the whole thing worth it. That. Well, I also like the reveal where he's watching himself on the screen as well. When he's mm-hmm. talking about the problems with 
what they were trying to do and all that and not to do it. I thought that was a, a nice little thing too. I actually, I didn't see that one coming. So that was kind of cool as well. So there were elements of that storyline that were very good. It, it would have been better had they kept it a little bit tighter um, and, and things like that, but it was still a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than the ongoing sky story that they're trying to tell with their history that they're really not explaining well at all. And they're trying to make it oh so mysterious. But if you're going to make something mysterious, at least give us more to go on so that we can have a frame of reference here. Yeah, every two or three weeks, they just drop one tiny little plot point in to remind us that this is something we're supposed to care about. Yeah, this character is important. Don't stop caring about her. She's she might even be a little dangerous. She's a freaking hacker. Come on, you need to give <laughs> us a little bit more to go on. And and that character too is another one that she's not, you know, my least favorite like Ward, but she's right up there with them kind of thing. It's I the actress really doesn't do all that much with me as opposed to like the scientists Fitz and Simmons. I love those two. Oh, absolutely. They're freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I was literally on the edge of my seat in the in the finale, one hoping they were gonna survive. Yeah, yeah. When they were stuck in the thing, it was like, oh man, that was awesome. No, I love it. You them. can't do this to me. Yeah. You can't do this to me, Whedon. We've been through this. <laughs> yeah, kill off freaking Sky or Ward. I'm all right with those two go on. <laughs> so and then of course we have Pill as well, if we're gonna talk about actors in in this series and i've said this before i think i said it on comic book informer she's she's more of a badass in how i met your mother than in shield and if i think they probably cast her because of how much of a badass she was in how i met your mother because that's what hill is supposed to be and that every time she comes back like when she has at the end of, of the season it was like she disappoints me to no end. It's because Murray Hill's not Canadian, isn't it? It might be. <laughs> we are known for our bad acidness. Yeah. But no, it's, 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 that's actually something that when the series was starting, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be great to have her there mm-hmm. on a regular basis. I don't know how much she would have been able to do with How I Met Your Mother wrapping up. I can't, I don't know what the timelines were between the two of them. But I had to imagine they were. They were some concurrent. overlap, yeah. So I don't know how much she would have been able to do. Although if she was smart, she would have freaking left How I Met Your Mother in the last <laughs> season and done this instead. <laughs> Let's be honest. But um, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of her, but more of her as Mariah Hill, the really kick-ass character. So maybe next season we'll get more of that. It, with everything up in the air in terms of where S.H.I.E.L.D. is at, who the hell knows? But I mean, with her supposedly working for Stark now. She's not out of the picture. She's still there. She's obviously still a character in the Marvel Universe as well, not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we are bound to keep seeing her. And then we have Bill Paxton. Who saved the series. (laughs) Let's be honest. Really? I am just not a fan of what he's doing here at all. I, I, I loved it. Really? Yeah, it shows you how subjective it is. Because I got to tell you, the moment he was introduced, I was like, "Well, this is the wrong character for this." And then every time he was on screen, it was like, "Oh my god, you're so freaking cheesy! He's so freaking corny!" And I just could not get behind him as this mastermind running all of these Hydra agents. It just did not work for me one bit. 
maybe as the mastermind, I, I can buy that. But early on when he was introduced, I really enjoyed seeing him working alongside you know the rest of the team. And then by the end, when he was just in full-on insane mode, I when the, the serum and everything was affecting him mentally, I, I loved it. Really? I yeah. did not. Again, Samuel L. Jackson, obviously perfectly cast, but he also fits the character. There's a reason probably that they decided to go with him when they were reimagining him for the Ultimates, not just because of his appearance, but also he's just a badass. He can play a badass character. It's so on his wallet. Well, exactly. I believe they cast Smulders perfectly as well. She's just not acting like she should be or isn't mm-hmm. given the direction to. Um, so that's, but I believe the casting is damn good as well too. And then of course, with Colson and, and may even. So, I mean, when I look at the casting for Paxton, it's like, I can see so many other actors that would have knocked this out of the park. It would have been amazing. And with him, it's just, Oh my God. He's, I, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it because the, the, the overall momentum, it, I think a lot of it has to do with that, that the momentum of the season was kind of faltering and him coming into that role and that character really energized the show for me. Yeah. We will agree to disagree. And by that, I mean, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about some of our favorite episodes. Then what were some of yours or actually, you know, what? before we get into that, there have been some tie-ins as well to the actual um, finger quote tie movies or whatever. There was tie-ins with um, Thor with uh, world in the, uh, the dark world in uh, the well. And then there was tie-ins with the winter soldier. Um, and, Let me and, ask you about that because you still haven't seen the winter soldier. Have you? No, I haven't. So the whole Hydra thing was kind of a spoiler for you. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, we saw it coming and then also Hydra's the biggest foil to shield. So it really wasn't all that surprising. And then it is right now their go-to multi-villainous organization that they have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So really, I kind of saw it coming a while back. Plus, when you're looking at it in terms of they're they're trying to concentrate on the espionage part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and not as much with how they're involved with superheroes which is what we see more in the movies and in the comic book kind of thing. So knowing that it's just going to be the espionage stuff, well, of course, you're going to have a villainous organization that infiltrates, and that's Hydra. So Yeah, because I remember when I was watching The Winter Soldier, and the whole Hydra thing was a major plot point in the movie. And from what we were we knew going into the movie, like in that setting, it was definitely a, a bit of a twist the way it all played out. And I remember leaving the theater going, man, the movie was awesome, and then it, Oh man, what are they going to do with Agents of Shield? <laughs> so, okay, I'm see, I'm trying to remember the episodes that tied in more with that, and I can't. It was turn, 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 and I believe in the beginning is what it was. Just how uh, much of a yeah, tie-in was the, there? The, the end of the beginning. Yeah, I think that was the first one where, like, you saw the elements of it. Yeah. But I, I think that came out before Captain America. So it wasn't until Turn, Turn, Turn that everything really, really hit the fan, I think. Yeah, that was if the, I'm remembering correctly. 8th of April, the Turn, Turn, Turn came out 1st of April for end of the beginning. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the Thor ones. 
Well, we we saw the the Asgardian warrior chick, mm-hmm. and yes, man. But there was actually the well was one of the ones that they were talking about as well. Yeah, the the well was positioned the as the official tie-in to yeah. Thor: The Dark World, which consisted of three minutes of the agents standing amongst the wreckage and a joke about Thor's biceps, and then just went off on its own. Now, that said, I actually really enjoyed the episode of The Well. I thought it was one of the better ones this season. It just the whole tie-in aspect was worthless. Yeah, that was the one with the uh, the, the staff that they put together mm-hmm. that Ming kind of played with. That was actually Yeah, that, that, that awesome. was the Agent May coming out episode of everybody finally realizing how awesome she is. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I actually really like that. That's, a, that's one of my favorite episodes that I had listed as well. And then the – I also did like the one with the – which is surprising because I'm not even a freaking <laughs> Thor fan. We all know that. <laughs> and yet some of my favorite episodes had to do with the Asgardian crap like – the staff one, and then with the 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 Asgardian warrior in Yes Men, I actually, though it used some cheesy kind of hypnotizing men crap thing that I hate that plot device. As a whole, the episode was still a lot of fun to watch with some fairly strong characters, including the the lady Sif. Sif, Sif? yeah, yeah, Sif. Yeah. So, ja- Jamie Alexander is great she she has a definite screen presence as lady sif and this shows that she's been criminally underutilized in the thor movies and i I hope this makes them realize that if and when they do a third thor movie they really need to make her more prominent in the role because yeah she was a lot of fun in this episode this is when we got our first may ward fight Uh, yeah that that whole episode was a lot of fun yeah a ton of fun i like that and then another one that i really liked was track as well yes, tracks yes that's one of my favorites as well on the train and just from a batshit crazy action kind of fun but also with all of the characters and how they were interacting and and i mean the unlike a lot of shows where the team gels immediately this one hasn't always had that so Seeing how they interact together at different times has been actually quite a bit of fun when done properly. And here where you have the teams splitting up to do different things as well to, to smaller groups, it you can either have disaster or you can have a good episode. And this one is one of the ones that people also enjoyed more. It's higher rated. And yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are those? Especially with the whole the, – the way the episode was structured. With with uh, the varying perspectives and how it yeah. all fit together at the end, that's something that can so easily go wrong, and it was well executed. Yeah. Any others that you really enjoyed? Um, early on, I, I kind of liked uh, the asset, the one where uh, Sky went into the field to uh, gain information on the the millionaire guy who disappeared for like fifteen episodes yeah. and then suddenly came back as a big deal. Just that was an, an interesting you know shift for the team dynamics. But then also the hub, which was when they teamed up uh, Ward and Fitz. And that's when Fitz really went into the field for yeah. the first time. And because prior to that, it was always Fitz and Simmons and Sky and Ward. And that was really the first episode that broke up the dynamic. So seeing the different ways the characters and the actors interacted in that episode, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it is one of those things where... I don't want to say that you, you had to be a diehard fan to actually keep watching... But it wasn't something that it was a must-see. 
even for true comic book fans, which obviously we are. We read a lot of comics. So this was – we're the target audience. We're the ones that they really want to appeal to in addition to bringing in new viewers, of course, as well. But, I mean, we were the easiest target audience kind of thing. <laughs> and though I made certain to watch it every week, it wasn't – I was watching it that night or even the next day if it was PVR'd. It's just, it was on and it was like, oh, we have a new one of these if you want to watch it. Talking to the wife. And it's like, yeah, sure. So this show was the thing I did for the hour before Face Off came on. Right. <laughs> so, and, but it, but in a good way still. It's not like, yeah, oh, I'm going to force I, myself to watch despite this. Despite all of its problems. And I said, a lot of that I think just has to do with general pacing of the story, which is easily fixable. And then with, as far as our issues with the cast, well, the one cast member we had the biggest issue with looks like he's been replaced at this point. So whoa, it, it's whoa, one of those whoa, things whoa. where – what? Hmm? Well, Ward isn't really a member of the team anymore. <laughs> yeah, but has he been signed for season two? No, I'm saying the character. So I yeah. would imagine that uh, they're going to do some. It seems it seems they're really setting up Trip to take his place in the team. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. So despite its problems, I still found it ultimately enjoyable. So it, I'm and by the end, they've really figured it out as I see it, you know, with as far as the characters, as far as the writing, as far as the pacing. So going into season two, I'm actually very optimistic. Yeah, I myself as well. It's funny because if you look at the um, the writing for each of the episodes, it's I don't want to say it's all over the place, but there's not of a lot of the same people working on the writing throughout. You got well, that's a how lot it is in TV. Like very, yes, I know, very but, few exceptions. You have that staff and there's a different person as lead writer for each episode. But I think that but they, they all need, contribute. But I think they need more of the the same people working throughout so that there is a nice consistent feel throughout as well. Whether Unfortunately, be, that's just not the way it works in major network TV. But it should be. <laughs> that's why shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad are so fantastic that there is a clear vision all the way through. But that's it can that's be why done. So many major network shows don't have that same feeling. Yeah. It's just not the way it's done. But again, it it can be is what I'm getting oh, wait, at. I'm not it saying it definitely can't be, be, but it's not. Yeah. So you're not going to change that. Have you heard any rumors about what they're planning for season two? None whatsoever. Okay, so they're. Keeping it close to the chest. Although, it, and it's also interesting because they announced that uh, we're getting the Agent Carter series yes. as well yeah. next season. So I don't know if they're going to be running like together, like in one at eight, one at nine, or if they're going to be. I, I I don't know how they're going to manage two Marvel series <laughs> at the same time without wearing people out. Well, and when are the ones starting on Netflix? Uh, next year. So. We're going to. I don't, I don't know if there's a, a hard date for that, but I think it's two next year, two the year after. And then the the miniseries crossover after that. Yeah. They're really pushing for this. Which, I mean, again, if they can pull it off and if they have good writers and good actors on this, then I'm all for it. Obviously. Especially as a fan, there's so many characters I want to see on screen. And there's only so much you can do with two movies a year. And it's funny because the ones that we want to see on TV are the ones that are going to fill that dramatic role of the normal not normal but you know not powered person which is what shield was supposed to be kind of thing and and to a certain degree still kind of is but that dynamic of the regular people also in 
the Marvel universe that can have exceptional stories. So mm-hmm. if they can keep that up, then it adds that whole other layer to what is otherwise a spandex and capes universe. Yeah, because there's a number of characters that would be very difficult to work into a movie, but would work on a TV setting. Exceptionally well. Definitely. Okay, any parting thoughts? Uh, I think I said my piece. Okay, good. Check out the show notes. They're going to be at popcornronin.com, of course. And on our next episode, we're actually going to be... That's that's enough of the superhero stuff for a little while now. So we're going to dive back into movies and have some fun. So make sure to check out the show notes. Like I said, leave us some comments of things that maybe you'd like to see or your opinions on S.H.I.E.L.D. And with that, we will talk to you guys in a few weeks. TV and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.